Welcome to this week's episode of Gil Reads Comics. This is a special episode where Adam and I will be giving you our review of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which just came out this past weekend. But be on the lookout because Amazing Spider-Man and Batman are both coming out with new issues, and we'll make sure to recap and review both of those as well in another episode this week. So stay tuned. There is an epidemic affecting children everywhere. Comic books. Comics everywhere. Avengers, Batman, Wonder Woman, and they're in movies now, too. In the real world, there is no good and evil. Enough! I'm reading comics, and no one's gonna stop me. Adam, how are you? I'm good. Is your throat doing okay? Yeah. For some reason, every time I exercise, uh, my throat afterward requires constant clearing. Right. But I'm doing my best to keep it under control. You're going to be putting that mute button to work tonight. Oh, yeah. And uh, how far did you run today? Just a cool 14 miles. <sighs> Hashtag humble brag. No, I asked you so you wouldn't have to brag. I wanted to. I wanted you to share that, but I didn't want you to have to feel like you're bragging, so I set you up for it. All right. Well, uh, for those of you who don't know, Gil and I are going to run a marathon together in the spring, so I've started trading, apparently a little early. Yeah, New Jersey Marathon, twenty six, cool 26.2 miles. You know, come, come on down. Sure, support. <laughs> Hold up the sign. Yeah. Gil reads comics. <laughs> a picture of the flash on it. Yeah. Hey, well, my, my last, uh, so I've never run a full marathon. I ran a half marathon, though, last year. And my niece showed up. She had a, a sign, had a picture of Batman on it. She knows I love <laughs> Batman. And uh, so that's what we're training for. And this weekend, we had a big weekend, Saturday. Couple things. First, I recorded. My first ever professional voiceover work, which uh, will be out in the world, I think, in the next week or two. I can probably share that once it's out. Uh, so that was exciting. If that wasn't big enough, then we recorded the Gil Reads Comics Christmas, no, sorry, the Gil Reads Comics Holiday Spectacular. <laughs> so that'll be out in the next couple of days. And Adam, you know, you were, you were thinking, can we make this day even just a little bit better? And I said, sure, let's go see Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. My name is Miles Morales. I'm the one and only Spider-Man. At least that's what I thought. You ever hear of the Super Collider? You're going to love this. Dimension opening now. You're like me. That's impossible. All right, kid, listen up. This fry is your universe. It's soggy, it's weird, it's gross. And this delicious normal fry is my universe. So you want to learn to be Spider-Man. Can you teach me? Yes, I can. Time to swing. Ah, Good, doing you're doing it. it. Double tap to yeah. release and whip it out again. Okay. Whip and release. You're a natural. Whip. whip. <laughs> ah. We'll start out, no spoilers, for probably the first 15 minutes or so, and then we'll give you a clear indication of when spoilers begin, if you haven't already seen the movie. 
Uh, you can also check the show notes where we'll mark off where the spoilers start, so don't worry about that. So, Adam, let's get right into the review. Give me the headline. Top line, what did you think of this movie? Overall, very good. Definitely recommend anyone who's remotely interested uh, should see it. They'll probably like it. Yeah, and it's uh, a lot of people agree with you. It's got, I think, a 97 or 98% on Rotten Tomatoes last time I checked, doing very well at the box office. Even before the movie came out, it was tracking so well that Sony announced a sequel and a spinoff, which will be led by Spider-Gwen and a couple of other female Spider characters we haven't met yet. Silk, comic book fans will know who that is. So, Adam, I'm sure you're scratching your head. Mm, spider silk? No, just silk. Right, but spiders make silk webs. Right. It's Peter Parker's sister. You know what's weird? What? People think of silk as this luxury material, but it's made by bugs. Yeah. Well, the bugs are a delicacy in some places. Just for us, it's yeah, not the silk. bugs that are a delicacy. It's the stuff that comes out of them. That sounds even worse. Well, let's not dwell on, on this subject because it's starting to make my stomach turn. <laughs> <laughs> so this movie's doing really well. So you liked it. I also liked it. I would say I was a big fan of it. I really liked it. If I had to put a letter grade on it, I'd probably say A-. minus. Very solid, but a few places where it could improve. Uh, top line, I would say great visuals, great characters. Humor was super well executed. Had all the right ingredients for a great movie. Uh, I would also say that it's a very complex movie, right? A lot of concepts it has to communicate to the audience. Multiverse, multiple Spider-Men, multiple Peter Parkers, each with their own story. Uh, but it all held together. I really liked it. Let's get into some specifics. Before we do that, though, a lot of people are saying this is the best Spider-Man movie ever made. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Yes or no? Do you agree with that statement? I've thought about this. Okay. And I have to say no. Spider-Man 1 with... Tobey Maguire. Why do I just forget his name? Yeah, Tobey Maguire. <laughs> Mr. Maguire. That was my favorite. <laughs> uh, he's PhD, Dr. Maguire. Oh, well, no, his Spider-Man's PhD. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that one is still my favorite, but it's hard to say if it's because I was a kid when I saw it the first time. But looking at it now, I think that movie brought some more maturity to it that I was still able to appreciate as a kid. And so it had uh, some more elements that um, made it see, made his made his growth, I don't know, seem more interesting. Right. Yeah, I, I'd say I mostly agree with your answer. So I, I also agree. It's, I don't... Well, let me put some nuance to it, though. So I would say it's definitely the best of the modern Spider-Man movies. Better than Homecoming, I thought. I would put it miles ahead of either of the Amazing Spider-Man films. Yeah, did you like that little pun right there? Miles. <laughs> it's a reference to the character Miles from uh, the Sonic the Hedgehog video game. <laughs> <laughs> I think that character is actually named Tails, right? There is a Miles also. I think Miles is uh, the red one. No, uh, maybe we'll look into that. But in reality, that was a very slick reference to Spider Verse, the Miles Morales character, which we've now ruined by explaining. 
Uh, so yeah, I would put it way ahead of either of the Amazing Spider-Man films. I would even say if you compare it to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films, I think from a technical standpoint, it wins out. Visually, it's way more unique than the Spider-Man movie. It's got its own voice. Even from a story structure standpoint, Spider-Man 1 that you're talking about and Spider-Man 2 both had, I think, a more traditional story structure this movie, Spider-Verse, was in a way all over the place. It didn't feel... I mean, I think it had a traditional three-act structure, but you couldn't see the seams of it so transparently where you would say, okay, it's part one, this is part two. It felt all over the place, but still kind of held together. To me, combined with the visuals, that gave it its own character, which I think in a way puts it technically ahead of Spider-Man 1 and 2. And in that way, maybe it is the best Spider-Man movie, but... Just like you said, um, not Spider-Man 1, but Spider-Man 2. The, for me, if a movie can make me feel something, that beats out anything else. A movie could have maybe a little bit, it could be a little rough around the edges. Maybe the acting isn't perfect. Maybe the writing is a little rough here and there. But if it can make me feel something, that's worth a lot of points. And I remember watching Spider-Man 2 when he was stop that train from going off the tracks when he shot, you mm. know, webs off either side of the track. And yeah, he had to, that was awesome. Yeah. That moment, I really felt something. And I don't think there were any points in spider verse that gave me that same level of emotion. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't get a sense of uh very high stakes. It, it all seemed kind of like a game, like a joke. Whereas in the uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, you still know like nothing that bad can happen, but something about it felt grittier and like uh, more that he was really struggling and that it was a big battle. Right. You, you felt Peter Parker's struggle in that movie more than I felt it for miles in this movie. Uh, and we'll get into some of the details of maybe why that is when we get into spoiler territory. Um, but I will put the same caveat on this that you did. If we watched Spider-Verse when we were in middle school, maybe we would have related to the Miles character more. Maybe I would have felt something similar to what I felt when I saw Spider-Man 2. It's hard for me to be objective about it. I mean, I saw that movie in the formative years of my life. There was probably a time where Spider-Man was my favorite movie. I was in middle school when the first one came out. I think early on in high school when the second one came out. So it's hard to be totally objective. Uh, and so I would say... Technically, Spider-Verse might be the best one, might be the best, most well-made Spider-Man movie. But for me, I still have a very, very much a soft spot for Spider-Man 2 with, with Doc Ock. Mm -hmm. I, I walked out of Spider-Man 1 uh, wishing I could be Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. I literally had dreams where I was Spider-Man. I wanted to be Spider-Man so bad. Yeah. Whereas Spider-Verse... I had a great time at the movie. I enjoyed it. I think overall, best Spider-Man movie in recent times, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, because I was But I didn't have that feeling after. Exactly. I didn't have that feeling. But I do want to reemphasize where we say it's the best Spider-Man movie of modern times. It's a great movie. And some people might take pause there and say, what about Homecoming? That was a, a well-made Spider-Man movie. But I thought overall fairly forgettable. 
it, it sort of mm-hmm. suffered from the fact that if you watch all the Marvel movies, it almost feels like they don't have too much of their own character. You go to see Thor 3, and it's sort of like, oh, this is Marvel Studios episode 12. Yeah. So it suffered from that a little bit. It was a bit forgettable for me, even though Tom Holland knocked it out of the park. One of the best portrayals of Peter Parker we've seen. But because Spider-Verse has more of a unique character than we've seen in any of the other Spider-Man movies, that's mainly why I put it ahead. At least, you know, the last five to eight years of Spider-Man movies is number one. Right. And also on that note, comparing it to the other Marvel movies, uh, I'd probably put this as being better than most of the Avengers movies and uh, Thor, uh, better than at least the first Captain America. Yeah. Uh, It's hard to compare it to the first Avengers just because at the time that was such a a big deal. Right. Uh, And like the first Iron Man. But my I I lean towards saying this is better than all of those. Yeah, I'm I'd have to think about that one. I would say Infinity War I really enjoyed, but it does. I, I've noticed that lately with the Marvel movies, I am starting to get bored during the action sequences. Mm-hmm. I love the banter between characters. I love the emotional stakes. All that stuff is great. But when the fight scene starts, I start to feel like I've seen this before. I probably know the way this fight is going to go, and I start to tune it out. That did not happen once with Spider-Verse. I was captivated the entire way through. So I'd have to think about it a bit, but I might put it ahead of the Avengers movies, including Infinity War. Yeah, and on the note of of feeling bored, I definitely get that with a lot of the Marvel movies now, just because uh, they're so formulaic, and then again, the fight scenes... There not there are no real surprises and the mechanics just feel the same from one movie to the next. Whereas in Spider Verse, even though uh, you can be reasonably sure that nothing too surprising will happen in a in any given fight, um, you can really enjoy it just for the visual experience, yeah. which is like nothing you have you've ever seen before. And you're hitting on something which is uh, a very real thing for the Marvel movies because I forget. Which movie this was? I believe it was Miss Marvel, uh, not Miss Marvel, um, Captain Marvel, the new uh, Captain Marvel movie that's coming out. They really wanted to have a female director for that movie, which makes sense. And I forget who it was, but there was one director who turned down the movie, and she said the reason why is that Marvel told her, "Don't worry about the action sequences. You're not going to be directing those." Uh, and that's mm. a, I believe that's their policy for all of their movies. The director of a Marvel movie, there's they don't direct the action sequences. They have a team or they have somebody that's kind of the fight scene expert, and they come in and do it. So it's not shocking that the fight scenes between Marvel movies all have a very similar look and why it's hard to give them enough unique character to make them interesting. I would love if they experimented with that more. Like you and I were talking about the movie recently, The Raid. The yeah. Raid too, uh, and like you've never seen better fighting in any movie than in this. Um, either and John Wick also has great fighting, and the two, it, you, it seems like John Wick's fighting style was inspired by the Raid a little bit. Yeah, um, Mad Max Fury Road. That's it, another one, right? And so I, I bring this up to say there are many different ways to do a fight scene, and you're selling yourself short if you just kind of outsource it to this cookie cutter style. Yeah. No, 100% agree with that. I think it's 
we'll, we'll move off this topic in a moment, but I'll just say my older brother, he's somebody that hasn't been on the podcast yet. I have another older brother besides Alon, Oren. He's not into action movies at all, and I, I had to work pretty hard. I still haven't gotten him to watch it, but I told him, even if you're not into action movies, you've got to watch The Raid 2. I think a lot of people think they don't like action movies, but that's because they've gotten so bored by them and they don't realize that you can do unique and different things with them. And I think some people have started to realize that you gave some great examples. I hope we see more of that. I hope we see more of it in superhero films. Moving on from that, let's get into some specifics. Let's try to stay non-spoilery for just a few Mm -hmm. more minutes and do you want to give me you know, bullet points? What were some of the things that you... You've already touched on some of them probably, but what are the things you liked about this movie specifically? So number one, and I think this is number one for everyone, is the art. Right. Um, so you described the aesthetic as being similar to uh, Peanut, the Peanut movie, <laughs> which uh, after watching the trailer for it, I agree uh, with the basic idea, which is that they, they both have the same approach toward taking uh, something that... Is originally two-dimensional and putting it in a film. Uh, where Spider-Verse, I think, is in a league of its own is just the the use of color and like abstract shapes. It's basically, it's exactly like uh, what a comic book would be if you if you could actually put it in in film form. Uh, it's not a it's not a comic book movie. It's a comic book movie. Right. It it. It's uh, there's a lot of movies that we've watched and people will say, oh, it, it was like taking a comic book and putting it on the big screen. This is the most true that's ever been down to some really uh, down to some really kind of intricate things. Whenever there was a close up shot of a character, you would see some texture texture to their mm-hmm. skin. The same way when you look very close at a comic book and you see kind of the dots where they were where they were filling in the colors. Right. The way it's printed. Yeah, so it's not just the surface level stuff where you see literal narration boxes in certain places. Uh, but that, yeah, I agree. That aesthetic worked so well. Yeah. What's cool is they don't just make it look like it's on paper, but they also make it look like you're really there and seeing it with this sort of fake depth effect. So traditionally, the way you give a sense of depth in a film. Uh, like the most basic way would just be to blur out what's in the background, um, which mimics the way the human eye really works. Cause when you focus on something close, everything behind it gets blurry. But what also happens when you focus on something close is the things behind it form a, a little bit of a double image, hmm. right? Cause you're going cross-eyed to look closer. Uh, so the things behind it should go blurry and a little bit double. And they actually did that in the movie. And so for the first, it takes a second for your eyes to adjust because you're watching it. And you almost think like, oh, I I've, didn't get my 3D glasses. Yeah. But it actually works really naturally. And it's really cool because it provides m- like an extra sense of 3D and depth than even a live action movie would while also being like very two-dimensional at the same time. Right. And the the look of the film not only was just interesting and awesome, it also so well suited this story because you need to tell a story where you have Peter Parker and Miles Morales walking around with a small anthropomorphic pig. That would have looked insane in a live-action movie, and they didn't want to go full cartoon. 
this is the perfect in-between where that doesn't look ridiculous. Spider-Ham character, I thought, played really well in this movie. And I think a lot of that is because they picked the right visual because they knew they were going to have so many different visual styles clashing. And this was the way to make that work seamlessly. Each of the spider characters come from a different world, and we get glimpses into those worlds, and each of them have their own unique style, not just the obvious ones like Spider-Man Noir where it's all black and white, but Spider-Gwen has sort of a steampunk, almost a Blade Runner-esque look to it. You get a glimpse of that world. Each one looks unique. Each one is inspired by the comics that they're based on. The visuals worked, yeah, I thought, so well in this movie. Mm Mm-hmm. And speaking of the the other dimensions, another aspect I liked a lot was the relationships between the characters. Uh, like their dialogue and banter was was very funny, but then they could also turn serious and make it believable. Uh, and especially the the sort of the main side character was uh, uh, Peter Parker, uh, who was kind of more of a, a sad sack and a little bit of a, a loser. With, who had a lot of regrets. Mm-hmm. And so he got to mentor Miles Morales uh, through the journey of, of learning how to use his powers. And that gave him more of a sense of meaning too. And I liked watching that because uh, it'd be really easy for this movie to just be this blast of optimism and all this color, and uh, which would kind of make it less believable. So to have this more adult kind of burned out character, it gives you can relate to elements of both uh, sides. And I I was worried about the Peter Parker character because from the trailers, it looked like they may have been playing him as kind of a doofus. And I understand that this movie in a, in a way is a passing of the torch. I mean, not really because we still have Peter Parker running around in the live action movies, but part of this movie is miles spider Gwen. These are your spider people. Now Peter Parker is the old guy. And in the trailer, I remember one scene where Spider-Gwen shows up, Peter Parker falls down some branches and kind of gets stuck, and he just says, hi, like he's a doofus and he's falling down. I was worried that's how they were going to play him. Um, but in reality, what you're not, you're not seeing stupidity or him being a fool. What you're seeing is actually something that's got some drama and darkness underneath the surface. Yeah. Like you said, he's burnt out. He just doesn't want to be doing this. He's still a smart guy, and that's clear in the movie. So they actually had uh, more nuance to the Peter Parker character than I expected, and I loved the way they played him. He was very entertaining in this movie. I would say uh, you mentioned characters. I just want to expand on that a little bit more. Uh, He's thinking about what I loved about this movie. First one for sure is the visuals, and the second one is their handling of almost all of the characters. There are a handful of characters that get pretty well developed. We've mentioned a couple of them already. But even the characters that don't get as much development, some of the other spider people, you know, Penny Parker, Spider-Ham, Spider-Man Noir, the characters that don't get a lot of development are still interesting to look at. They're funny, and you want to know more about them. So they uh, they serve a purpose to the plot, and even though they're not fully developed characters... Any one of them, I would watch another movie about that individual character. So across the board, I thought they handled all the characters really well. They each had their own motivation. And uh, now I will say there was one character who I thought was uh, a bit underdeveloped. 
which disappointed me. And one character who I, I was surprised was actually pretty well developed that I thought would be underdeveloped. We'll get to those in spoiler territory. Uh, and then one other thing on characters, I just have to give a shout out. Spider-Man Noir, Nicolas Cage. Yeah. For me, was the standout. Every single line he said made me laugh. I loved that character. Yeah, and also just the premise behind him is is awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, the, yeah, I liked everything about him, and I want to see, see more. Anything else uh, you'd say you liked about this movie that you can get into without diving into spoilers? Uh, I liked the pace, the pacing of the movie. Uh, like you said before, there were a lot of different threads uh, kind of happening simultaneously, which which I guess is uh, sort of expected in a, in a movie with so many dimensions intersecting. Right. Uh, but I enjoyed that it moved quickly. I never got bored, uh, but it also wasn't nonstop action. There was plenty of um, like pl- just exposition. Yeah. Yeah, no, agreed. Great pacing. We've mentioned it a few times, but this movie easily could have been just a mess with so much going on. But they they made it. They made it somehow. They made it easy to follow. Uh, one more thing I'd say, just going back to the visuals for a second. Uh, you you mentioned how they they got into areas of the film where it would become really abstract and really interesting. Uh, it kind of reminded me of something we haven't seen in animation in a long time. Uh, something like Yellow Submarine, the old Beatles movie, where mm-hmm. it would get into these really bizarre images and animation, uh, really yeah. experimental stuff. Like borderline psychedelic. That's the word, psychedelic. There were scenes of this movie that went into territory where I, I just thought you, you couldn't create this without the budget of a big, you know, a big budget yeah. Hollywood movie. So it's awesome that the creators of this movie decided to take that and and use it to create something visually interesting. Yeah, there were times during the movie where um, I would just kind of sit back in the in the seat, and and it was like sensory overload, and I was like, I, I, I my brain kept keeps trying to like integrate what's happening visually on the screen, but you kind of just give in and allow this just influx of color and light and shapes. Yeah, uh, but it it works well and it's very cool. Right, there's no surprise that. At our theater, we were given uh, an epilepsy warning because there is oh, yeah. so much insanity going on in the screen. All right, let's go from there into what we didn't like. And for this, do you want to just, let's say, dive into spoilers right now? Yeah, because the points that I have a, a little bit of an issue with are ones that are pretty specific. So Yeah, agreed. All right, everybody, we're going to go into spoilers. In three, two, one. Comic or comic-related spoilers. (laughs) All right, Adam, why don't you take it away? Uh, Okay. So as as much as it was great from a visual perspective and that I liked uh, how the, the fights were different and not boring because of how visually interesting they were, I didn't like that most of the time that there was a fight, it kind of the gravity just disappears and they enter this abstract space of uh, like, you don't really know what's going on. It, it's sort of, there's no sense of danger in the fight because it's like they're swimming around and 
in like a some kind of weird just non just abstract space. Yeah, you're you're talking probably specifically about the final battle where they're yeah. in the accelerator because I I walked away with the same feeling that you did about the fight scenes, but if you think back, there were some fight scenes earlier on that worked pretty well. The original Peter Parker Green Goblin fight where Peter was killed. Much more grounded fight se- sequence. Um and the uh when they ran into Doc Ock the female Doc Ock in the lab. Again, that was in a building, a much more structured fight scene. They ended up in True. the woods. That worked pretty well. Um, but I agree. There were there was at least one point where it went too far. When they were in that accelerator at the end, like you said, they start floating around. The rules become unclear. And so uh, the rules of the fight and the, the space of the fight, to me, became unclear. So when our guys, when our characters do well, you're sort of... You don't know why they did well. What allowed them to triumph in that moment? You know, a bus just comes floating out of the side of the screen and hits one of the villains. And it's funny, but it's hard to really feel triumphant when you don't really know what the heck is going on. Yeah. I'll say this, though. I did like that. I always knew why the characters were doing what they were doing. Like, if I watch a Bourne movie or James Bond or something, sometimes it's like, I don't really know what's going on or, or why. I just know that the action is cool. That's true. And, and what was funny is uh, you know you 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 know what's going on. You have a pretty good idea of it, but it's almost not super important. Like, yeah, they're going to turn the machine on. It'll kill a bunch of people. It's not good. Peter Parker's been through this sort of thing so many times. He says to Miles something like, oh, these are typical Spider-Man stakes. Don't worry. We'll get through this. Yeah, they kind of call attention to that. And he's like, now Kingpin's going to say, you have 24 hours. (laughs) And then he goes, you have 24 hours. Yeah, that was great. That was great. Oh, wait, speaking of Kingpin, what did you think Mm. of the look of Kingpin? Uh, No pun intended, but he looked a little comical. Yeah. (laughs) Like his, if you took the, if you take a, like a pug's face and then you, you took its body and you made it 50 times larger than it really is. And then its whole body was was surrounding the front of his face. That's what he looked like. Yeah. I, I'll say I didn't love it. I, that, that was the one yeah. character design that I just wasn't on board with. Because every, every other character besides Spider-Ham, every other character <laughs> looks like a person with slightly exaggerated features maybe. But Kingpin just felt really bizarre to me. I didn't hate it. It didn't take me out of the movie or anything. But I just, I don't know that I was on board with that. Yeah. I I wavered between finding it funny and just finding it weird. Another thing that bothered me more, the more I think about it, the more it bothered me, was the lack of webbing. Hmm. Uh, So, like, once uh, Miles starts getting his powers, uh, First of all, like him not being able to unstick from things and not being able to go invisible on command and, and not being able to discharge all that electricity on command. Um, it's like I, I get it that he doesn't have conscious control over it yet and it's something he has to learn. I think they made the stickiness joke too many times. Right. Like they played it out just more than necessary. Like it had the humor effect already, like when it was stuck to Gwen. Uh, and then uh you know he needed web shooters and he didn't get them for a, it was a long time before he had web shooters and even once he first got it it's unsatisfying cuz he only has one 
it was cool to watch him swinging through the forest with uh, Peter Parker when they're carrying the computer. Mm-hmm. But that's not where Spider-Man is in his element. I want to see him swinging through New York City. I want to see him going really high up. Like we barely saw him climbing a building. I don't even know if we saw him climb to the top of yeah, a building. We've seen him climb a building. That now it's yeah, that's true. There wasn't a lot of swinging through the city. And the funny thing is, it feels like part of what they're trying to do is we don't want to show you anything you've already seen. Hmm. Uh, and so they were they didn't show us the origin again. They kind of they gave it to us pretty quickly, but they didn't go into detail on his origin. They even yeah, say in the movie, fine. you know all that already. Right. Right. I'm fine with that, but there's certain things you want to see. Yeah. I want to see him climb a building, like the tallest building in New York and perch on the ledge and look out over the whole thing. Although it makes sense because he doesn't right, he doesn't live in Manhattan in this one. Right, he lives in Brooklyn. Brooklyn? Yeah. Yeah, or he's at least from Brooklyn. I, I'm not sure where the school is, probably also in that area, probably not Manhattan. But you know, that would have been that would have felt good. Well, and the funny thing is, what have we seen before? Peter accidentally sticking to something and not being able to unstick. And <laughs> yeah, so you're right. If you're going to show us something we've already seen before, I'll take swinging through the city over, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Miles' hand getting stuck to, to something. Yeah. Th- uh, though, having said that, I, I do want to just point out there was at least one awesome shot of Miles when he, free- mm, yeah, yeah, when he jumps um, out of that building and the whole screen turns upside down. So he's that falling cool. down towards the city, but it looks like he's falling up. I think it's in the trailer on one of the posters. Mm-hmm. That yeah. was incredible. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and also just in general, uh, along the, the lines of how he related to his powers and how they made us feel about the powers. Uh, they didn't make it seem all that... Like, it should, it, those powers are a gift. You know what I mean? I wanted it to feel like a gift. I get that it's hard to like figure out what to do with your life once this happens, but he Miles never really seemed excited that he could do the things that he could do. He just seemed freaked out and scared, which which makes sense because that's probably how a normal person would react. But this is like the comic book universe. This is where you can live out fantasies. I wanted to see him. You know, you can struggle with the powers, but I wanted to see him embrace it and get happy about it. Right. And I wanted to leave thinking, damn, I wish that would happen to me. Yeah, the tough thing is, in this case, he got his powers in the midst of a horrible situation, and the the villains were already there. It's not like the original Spider-Man film where he gets his powers, and he has a little bit of time before Green Goblin shows up. Yeah. Like, remember in the original one where... Uh, he wakes up in the morning and he puts on his glasses and everything goes blurry. Right. And he takes them off and he can see better. Oh, and then he sees he's got a six pack. Yeah. Like that was cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. You don't, that didn't occur to me during the movie, but now that you pointed out, there really wasn't, uh, there wasn't much where you felt like he was having fun and enjoying having his powers. Uh, regarding his powers, the thing I noticed was, how quickly he seemed to adapt to them when he when he freed himself from the webbing after Parker webbed up Miles because he didn't want him to get involved in the f- sort of final battle after Miles freed himself and joined the rest of the spider gang to fight Kingpin in the accelerator mm-hmm. it didn't seem like he was struggling all that much with how to fight 
Yeah, suddenly he was an expert. Right, and right. I remember thinking, it's like, that happened because he kind of reached rock bottom. Yeah. Right? Like, they all kind of abandoned him, and his uncle uh, died after, and he found out he was a villain. And and now that he, it, it's like a prerequisite to being a good fighter is that you have like a dark side. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of what the movie made it seem like. Uh, like suddenly he just knows how to fight better. Right. He hit rock bottom and that gave him an appreciation for kind of the struggle and what he needs to get done. And I can actually buy that that would trigger him being able to control when he sticks and unsticks, mm-hmm. being yeah, able to control that. his invisibility, his, um, his venom shock or whatever that ability was yeah. called. I can buy that because that's mental. But mm-hmm. suddenly being able to fight, and I'm not saying he was an expert, but I am saying that in that final battle with Kingpin, I just it didn't seem like I was watching somebody in one of their first fights ever. Yeah. And I think they could have had it look like that because it still would have been believable for him to defeat Kingpin because Kingpin is a human. It's not like he's fighting a super-powered foe. So I wish we saw a little bit more struggle in that final battle. You know what we needed? A training scene. Yeah. You know, and, and they had the perfect setup because his uncle has that uh that punching bag. Oh, that's right, yeah. And also the training scene in Creed two was too short, so I like that I I need a little bit more <laughs> to fill that uh hole anyway. Oh, it's funny you bring that up because that was one of the comparisons I drew is when I was worried about how they were going to treat Peter Parker in this movie, and I was worried he would be a buffoon, kind of left to the side. But the approach they took was more like Creed, where mm-hmm. Peter Parker was Rocky. He was the older trainer, and Miles was, uh, you know, Apollo Creed's son, Adonis. Yeah. Uh, but so Rocky's the trainer, Peter's the trainer, but they do still have their own emotional journey in the movie. So that's that was kind of a comparison I saw between both of these films. Yeah, I, th- I thought about the. I kept thinking about Creed for some reason. Uh, but yeah, I would have loved to see some kind of training scene or, or uh, just something to get me pumped up. Yeah. Uh, and then, then that would explain why he can fight so well at the end. Although it's, we, I still would have liked to see some more struggle. Right. Uh, one possible way they could have done that is if I think they, they established the connection that he shared with his uncle but they didn't make it strong enough for me to feel sad when he died. Right. Uh, I liked that they had him uh, turn turn good. Mm. Like, we want to see that uh, kind of in his last moments. Yeah. But it didn't feel, none of it felt that impactful just because the, the relationship wasn't that established. And also, nothing about his villain side had been explored. We didn't know anything about how he came to be that way, what drove him into being evil, they could have explored that further if, you know, maybe when he discovered that he was a villain and, and he found himself about to kill his own nephew, not realizing it was his nephew, he has a change of heart. He lives long enough to train him and we learn a little bit more. They they get closer. Then he dies. Then we're sad. Yeah, I, I don't know how well that would have played out necessarily of yeah, uh, them him like <laughs> about to die he becomes good then he trains him um if no not about to die I, in this uh, in, in your in this other dimension he doesn't get shot right right i got you yeah so you're saying that he's not about to die he doesn't get shot he trains miles and then you have the tragic death 
Yeah. Um, I could see that working, but I also do like the the complicated emotion it must be creating for Miles that he learned his uncle was a villain in the moments before he died. So he doesn't really get a chance to have that kind of reckoning, that change mm-hmm. of heart. Well, then show show us that that bothers him. Yeah, you know? fair, fair. We didn't really see Miles struggle too much with with learning that his uncle was a, was a villain. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned earlier that there was one character who I was disappointed was underdeveloped, and you already pointed it out. It is uh, Uncle Aaron, Miles Morales' uncle, who turns out to be a supervillain because Probably. they hinted early on that his uncle was not the best guy in the world. But what they showed us was spray painting and things like that. It's a pretty big leap to go from spray painting to I'm willing to murder a child. (laughs) Because he was a villain. He was ordered to kill the new Spider-Man. The only reason he didn't is because he found out it was his nephew. So I really would have liked to, to have seen more development of that character. I do think the relationship between Miles and his uncle was pretty well established. I actually didn't think that needed more. But when his uncle died, I didn't feel a whole lot, not because the relationship wasn't developed, but because I was scratching my head over this guy's a, a villain. He's a murderous villain. It just didn't add up to me. It felt really bizarre, kind of took me out of the moment. So the scene just didn't play well for me. And it felt like that was supposed to be one of the big emotional beats of the movie. So that that scene suffered a bit for me. Yeah. Interesting twist on Uncle Ben. (laughs) Yeah, it's always the uncle. The uncle has to play a pivotal role in your your story. Speaking of the uh, familial relationships, uh, I liked... I thought it was pretty well done, uh, the relationship between Miles and his dad. Yeah, yeah, I did think that was well done. It was kind of cheesy in the in the trailers where you see him getting out of the car and his dad comes on the the, the uh, megaphone. He's like, oh, yeah. I love you. You have to say it back to me. <laughs> he forces him to say I love you back in front of his whole school. Uh, but it was, it was really well done in the movie. Um, you, It's similar to what we've been saying about the other characters where every character has their own emotional arc. Miles' dad doesn't exist purely as, oh, that's Miles' dad. He has his own arc. He's struggling with his son. And that in and of itself was an interesting story to watch and play out. Had a satisfying conclusion. Uh, I don't want to beat up on the movie too much. I feel like we're, I think we're spending more time on what we didn't like than what we did like. And that's not because we disliked more than we liked. It's just because I think the things we liked we're so big, right? We're talking about the visuals. There's not a lot of words to describe that, but it's a big part of what we liked about the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we move on from what we didn't like, I, I do <laughs> want to spend a little more time, because we've alluded to it a few times, uh, the emotional stakes. We've talked about how we both enjoyed the movie. We found it funny, but didn't feel a whole lot besides laughter. And to me, it felt like the movie was pulling its punches there were moments where the table was set for a really emotional moment, and then it feels like they took a step back from it. One of the biggest examples for me is one of my favorite pages of Spider-Man ever is in the, uh, in the world of Ultimate Spider-Man, there was a story called Spider-Men. It came out a few years ago. It was written by Brian Michael Bendis. Very similar story to what we saw in Spider-Verse. 
our Peter Parker from our world tra- travels into the ultimate Spider-Man world and he meets Miles Morales in a world where Peter Parker is dead. Now, our Peter Parker, um, he, Gwen Stacy is dead in his world. Gwen Stacy is alive in Miles' world. So anyway, all that being said, Peter and Miles go to Aunt May's house. When Aunt May comes out of her house, she starts yelling at Peter Parker in his Spider-Man outfit because she assumes that he's an imposter, you know, essentially wearing her dead nephew's costume. Then when he takes his mask off, you can just see tears streaming down his face. And she's crying. Gwen Stacy's there. It's an extremely emotional moment. One of the most moving pages of Spider-Man I've ever read. They essentially recreate that scene in this movie. Miles, Peter, and I think Gwen, they go to Aunt May's house. And it could have been a very emotional scene because Mm -hmm. in Peter's world, Aunt May is dead. But it's mostly played for laughs, I thought, that scene. She comes out and she says, oh, you're going to need name tags for the number of spider people around here. She brings them down into essentially the Spider-Man equivalent of a bat cave. That could have been a great emotional moment, but they kind of just went right by it. Yeah, they kind of just went for the badass grandma trope. Yeah. When, you know, she's grieving and there could have been a lot more feels. Yeah, yeah. In general, I didn't feel a lot of grief in this movie. You know, Aunt May, MJ, all the people that would have missed Peter Parker, um, it, it didn't feel like they really. It, they felt like they were shying away from from that grief. And I don't know if it's because they want to gear this more towards children, or maybe it's just the tone they're going for. They want this to be primarily a comedy, and if that's what they're going for, knocked it out of the park. I was laughing the whole movie. Yeah, uh, just I su- I suspect in part it has to do with the the audience, and I think they're trying they're trying to do a lot with this because they have to make it a fun movie for kids. They can't go too dark, but they went dark enough to show someone die, and to show someone with severe depression. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and it's like we want them to go darker because it makes it more dramatic, right? And and that's something that gives us a greater sense of depth. True, true. It is but funny. But they would that lose we're... some of the kids, I think. Yeah, agreed. They would lose some of the, the children audience if they went too dark. I don't want that much darker. 5%, you know, 7% yeah. maybe. <laughs> it is funny, though, that we're asking for more darkness out of a children's movie. Like you said, the Peter Parker in this movie is borderline suicidal. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is yeah a, actually. He... He he is so ready to volunteer to stay behind in Miles' world, you know, to stick what he calls the goober into yeah. the uh, accelerator. Um, and it, it almost feels like, you know, Peter, you don't have to do that. No, 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 I want to do it. It's fine. It's fine. Just leave me here. So, you yeah. know, you seriously don't have to do this. No, nah, I definitely do. Uh, Miles, stay out of this. Uh, <laughs> so that's pretty funny. All right. Enough about what we didn't like. Let's just geek out for a few minutes. Uh, spoiler territory and some of the stuff we loved liked in this movie Um, I'll just give you one and then give you a chance to put out a few more Spider-Man Noir's fascination with the Rubik's Cube yeah (laughs) that was such a great way to reveal to us that he sees in black and white (laughs) that was maybe the biggest laugh I had in this movie he stares at the Rubik's Cube and I forget exactly what he says but something along the lines of I don't understand this but I will. 
<laughs> and then I love that at the end we see him in in his home uh, dimension, like with the thing on display, and like it looks like he's. Uh, it almost looks like maybe he's getting an award for having figured it out. Or, or the Rubik's Cube has become an attraction of sorts. Yeah. Or he's hosting it at like a carnival type of setting. Yeah. Um, I wonder how he managed to participate in all the, the fight scenes when it just turned into just like a cloud of color and shapes. <laughs> <laughs> for him, it just would have just been uh, all gray. His mind must have been exploding. Yeah. Uh, what else? What else did you like? Well... Uh, I want to stick with uh, Spider-Man yeah, Noir yeah. for a second. I would love to see him fighting Nazis. Oh, yeah. He said that in the movie, right? He mentioned he fights Nazis. He's a slugger. So that, that's the vibe I got from him. Yeah, all of the uh, slang they used, which I'm pretty sure they just made up for this movie. Yeah. I don't remember any of them, but they were they were so funny. And Nicolas Cage delivering those lines knocked it out of the park. Yeah, perfect casting. I Yeah, like you said, I, I tweeted this the other day, but I would love, love, love to see a Spider-Man Noir spinoff. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. And there's so much spinoff and uh, sequel potential here. Oh, yeah, tons. You could take this in a million different directions, uh, which we'll talk about. Uh, I do want to talk about what do we want to see next, but other stuff I loved in this movie, um, the relationship between Miles and Gwen. Mm -hmm. uh, it didn't go full-on romantic. They were definitely hinting at that, and I'm sure that will move move along and progress in the sequel, but I really bought the relationship between them from the start. I thought it worked really well. Yeah, I agree. It was it was really funny the way it started and um, how his uncle taught him to go, hey. <laughs> uh, oh, that was a that great was well uh, callback, too, when he, he used it on Kingpin, I think. He put his hand on his shoulder and mm -hmm. said, hey, and then zapped him. Yeah, that that's when great. he fi finally could control his his electricity. Uh, I liked, Yeah, I like that relationship because it didn't make it a centerpiece, uh, and it stayed, you know, just friendly, basically. Yeah. I agree that I'm sure it'll get fleshed out more uh, in future movies. Right. Uh, which which I think could which could be well done. Like one of the things I was I'm hoping to see is that we see him grow up uh and like actually mature. Like yeah. show the process of that happening and um I think Gwen, you know, Gwen could play a role. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh Doc Ock, I thought that was a great twist. Yeah. Um, when uh, I, and I love the way they did it too. This this uh, scientist, female scientist, she finally says her name. You know, Doctor Octavius. Peter mm -hmm. Parker, I think, says your friends don't happen to call you Doc Ock, do they? She says no, but my enemies do. And then she comes <laughs> out with her arms or her uh, tentacles, and they put a different spin on it. Her tentacles almost seem more like bubbly and biological than the mm -hmm. mechanical arms that we're used to. Yeah, I thought that was a, that was a good character design. Yeah, great character design. And uh, we already mentioned the shot of Miles falling into the city, which was awesome. Uh, I think last thing I'll mention, just uh, I, could, I mean, I could go on and on about like the different moments I loved in this movie, but Spider-Ham, I thought he was hilarious. Oh, yeah. He was awesome. Uh, his intro specifically, when he starts to sing and they kind of cut him off like a cartoon <laughs> character, was great. Yeah. Yeah, they, they did an awesome job uh, not sacrificing the cartoony elements of him without uh, making it feel like he didn't fit in. It was just the right combination. Right, and before we get into what we want to see next, got to talk about after credit sequence. 
<laughs> yeah. That might have been my biggest laugh, actually, at the movie. Yeah, that was hilarious. Yeah, Spider-Man 2099, who, if you're unfamiliar, Marvel a long time ago did a line of 2099 comics where they showed what our heroes would be doing 100 years from now, the next generation of uh, of characters. So this was a version of Spider-Man in the future, voiced by Oscar Isaac, big actor. You might know him as Poe in Star Wars. You also saw him in uh, Ex Machina, so big actor. So I'm sure uh, Spider-Man 2099 will be playing a role in sequels or spinoffs. And then he runs into Spider-Man from the 1967 uh, animated series, and they recreate a meme. Did you know that that was a reference to a meme, by the way? The pointing? Yeah, there's a meme of two characters dressed up as Spider-Man huh. pointing at each other. No, uh, from a I just knew about ago. the meme of uh, Spider-Man sitting at his desk. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but that was that's how you use an after credit sequence, right? It's... It's yeah. a little bit hinting at a sequel, but then just gives us an awesome one or two minute, uh, you know, entertaining sequence. <laughs> yeah, that that was awesome. I wanna I wanna rewatch that. I hope it's on YouTube somewhere. All right, we've got a sequel coming out. We've got at least one spinoff. What do you want to see from the future of these Spider Verse movies? So one one prerequisite that I want is that they solve this glitching out problem so that there there's no pressure where you, at some point you automatically must go back to your dimension. Right. Each of the characters, when they're in a universe besides their own, they glitch out and eventually they'll die. So you can't spend yeah. too much time outside of your world. Yeah. I think uh, Peter Parker said that the interdimensional travel doesn't make his atoms very happy. <laughs> uh, so I want to see that. Obviously, we both want that spinoff to be Spider-Man Noir. I think it probably won't be. Well, they've already announced the spinoff is going to be a female-centric movie. Oh, Spider-Gwen, right. Silk, Spider-Woman. You know, before we actually get too far into what we want to see next, we should talk about the ending because there was a. Vi- it happened very quickly, right before the credits rolled. But Miles is lying in bed. You kind of see a colorful swirl above him, and you hear Gwen talking to him asking if he can talk for a second huh. that happened so fast you didn't even catch it i noticed it but i didn't i, I didn't process it because i was just waiting for the uh the end of the credits thing the uh so in the comics uh they're out of the spider-verse event uh, they, they're create they created this group the spider i think web warriors and there were a group of spider people. Gwen was one of them. They each had essentially a wristwatch, which they could use to freely travel between dimensions and use it to communicate across dimensions. So I have a feeling that Gwen was able to communicate with Miles at the end of the movie using a device like that. And I'm guessing that device will also allow them to spend time in another universe without the glitching. So that may have been a hint at this problem being solved for you. Perfect. So they solved that. That's off the table. Check. What else do you want to see? Uh, the the Japanese one. Oh, was Penny that? Parker. Penny, Penny Parker. Yeah, I want to see like an anime about that. Oh, I would love that. <laughs> I could see yeah. them doing a 20-minute anime. You know, for uh, for Blade Runner, 
they actually did a series uh, of quick anime shorts before that movie came out. And I think they just announced that they're doing more of them. So there's some precedent for this. So Disney, Sony, if you're listening, I would definitely watch at least even just some shorts. Give us some anime uh, Penny Parker. Yeah, she was funny. She was. I'd like to see her character developed more because uh, it's the, 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 I don't know exactly what's going on there. I think she has a telepathic link with her spider, which is in that suit of armor, and she's from very far in the future. I'd love to see more of that world. Yeah, I I like the idea of the spider being her her companion rather than like just transferring the power powers into her. Like she harnesses the spider into uh, this bigger enclosure that can do all this stuff. Yeah, it doesn't get left in the dust like in the classic Peter Parker tale. You owe everything to that spider. And you don't <laughs> even know where it is. It's probably its corpse got brushed into the the trash by a custodian. 30 years ago. You it belongs care. in a museum. <laughs> uh, for me, I'd like to see... Um, I mean, they set up a world here where we have a chance to do stories that wouldn't play as well in live action. We were never going to see a Spider-Verse movie with Tom Holland, you know, with, with uh, live action. So I, th- I really want to see them take advantage of the fact that they can tell some interesting stories. Stories Specifically, what I want to see in the next one, Superior Spider-Man. I think they could pretty easily mm. use a five-minute sequence to set up a world where Peter Parker and Doc Ock switch bodies. And I would love to see how the Superior Spider-Man character interacts with our Peter Parker, interacts with Miles Morales, uh, it could make for, it, it, I think it would just be an interesting story to see he's part of the team. They don't quite trust him. He's struggling with his villainous side. I'd love to see that play out in one of these movies. You, know, you, you allude to a good point, which is that, uh, granted, this isn't exactly in the Marvel sphere because it's Sony also, uh, but they've they've expanded the horizons and possibilities of the of all these superhero movies now that they've embraced the interdimensionality. Right. Because it seemed like with the other plots, they try to keep things simple and somewhat believable relative to how crazy some of these uh, these comic book plots can go. But they managed to introduce us to multiple dimensions in a way that we can understand and we can follow along. So now they can do crazy stuff like people's minds and bodies are switching, which is th- something they've always held back from doing Yeah, uh, in all these movies. Yeah, exactly. This has opened up a world to... It feels like no Spider-Man story is off the table now, and I really want to see them take advantage of that, whether it's Superior Spider-Man or another equally insane and interesting story arc. Uh, I'd also like to see, this one's a, kind of a smaller one, I'd like to see more of Miles Morales' personal life. We saw a lot of his interaction with his parents, and that was great. But outside of them, we don't really see him hanging out with friends. The only friend we really see him interact with is Gwen, who turns out to be Spider-Gwen. So she's part of all the superheroics. Part of the appeal of Spider-Man to me was his interaction with characters that aren't part of the insanity and there's a struggle of your identity you can't tell them who you are and i know we've seen some of that play out before but i'd like to see a little bit of that come back i'd like to see more of uh, the personal life surrounding miles 
And I'd say this is the big one for me. Unless do you have anything else you'd want to throw into the mix of what you want to see next? No, go ahead. All right, the big one tweeted this out the other day. But I, I think it's it's clear that this version of Spider-Man, this version of Peter Parker that was in Spider-Verse is kind of a mix of the different Peter Parkers we've seen before. Uh, you can, in the intro to the movie, when he gives his backstory, it specifically references things that happened in the Sam Raimi movies. You had him stopping the train, the upside down kiss. You had the, uh, which was awesome, by the way, recreating the Spider-Man 3 jazz sequence where he's dancing. Oh, yeah. yeah love that, that callback. So they've hinted at the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. I would love them to go even further with that. I want to... Toby Maguire to voice a Spider-Man in this movie. Yeah. I want it to be our Spider-Man. And I'm going to take it a step further. I feel like Sam Raimi got kind of screwed over with that. He never got to finish his Spider-Man story. Bring him back as a guest director for at a minimum a five-minute sequence where somehow he can give us closure for the Toby Maguire version of Spider-Man. That would make me so happy. That would be amazing. I don't think there's a remote chance it'll happen, uh, but I would love it. At least throw Bruce Campbell in there for a sec. Oh, they've got to bring in Bruce Campbell. Bring in Bruce Campbell. Oh, here we go. Okay, now we're putting this together. You bring back Tobey Maguire, and then you bring back Bruce Campbell to voice Mysterio because that's who he was going to be, I think, in the fourth Spider-Man. So let Sam Raimi do what he was going to do in Spider-Man 4, let him give us some closure. And then you know what? While you're while you're at it, because we can do so many crazy things, bring in Andrew Garfield. Let the two of them meet each other, the two iterations of Spider-Man. Hmm. Is there any way, like contractually, that some of the other heroes from Marvel could be in one of these movies? I was thinking about that too, the Avengers or the X-Men. I mean, they Sony doesn't have free reign to do that. But we've seen, I mean, with Spider-Man, they made a deal with Marvel where Marvel was able to borrow Spider-Man for their own movies. So there's no saying that it couldn't happen. Uh, So far, we haven't seen it go the other way, right? Sony let Spider-Man go to Marvel, but you watch Venom, nothing from Marvel went to Sony. So, so far, this has been one way. Now, Spider-Verse has been incredibly successful, so Marvel might be more open to that. Maybe they will be mm. willing to have an Avengers cameo or have Wolverine show up. I don't I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. That'd be cool. And even with the Tobey Maguire idea, that actually was discussed. They they considered having Tobey Maguire voice the Peter Parker that we see in the movie, but they were afraid that it would be too confusing for audiences because they would try and connect it to the old movies and it would throw people off. Uh, But they did say they have not written off the possibility of a cameo or having him involved in some way in the future. So, hey, it could happen. Well, with that, I think clearly we're both excited about the the future that this Spider-Verse movie has created. I'll reemphasize... Loved this movie. It was visually amazing. And I think the best thing about it is that it opened up a ton of possibilities for the future. I never would have seriously suggested Superior Spider-Man be portrayed on film. 
this movie has shown me that it's possible. So I'm ex- normally I'm a little weary when a studio says we've announced a sequel, a spinoff. It's exactly what Sony did with Amazing Spider-Man. They were planning all these sequels and spinoffs. Felt like they were putting the cart before the horse. But this is one of the rare times where I am fully on board. I can't wait to see what they do in the sequel, what they do in the one spinoff they've announced so far. But I'm betting that there's more on the way. Uh, I'm excited for the future of Spider-Verse. What about you, Adam? I can't wait. With that, I'm Gil, and I watch movies. Thank you for listening, and if you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to leave a rating or a review in the Apple Podcasts app. That really helps us out. And be sure to check out our YouTube channel. There's a link in the show notes. We do reviews on there. We'll have the Christmas Spectacular on there. And we're doing some other cool stuff. Specifically, you'll want to check out the Batman Who Laughs video recap, where it's done in a sort of dramatized way with voices, music, sound effects. I really think you'll enjoy that. And we're planning to do a lot more of that going forward for Batman, Spider-Man, and maybe some other characters. We were talking about maybe doing some for Spider-Man Noir because we both want to learn more about him. So thank you for listening and stay tuned for another episode this week with our traditional recap of a couple comics that are coming out on Wednesday.